ahead of International Women's Day, I wanted to bring a guest onto the podcast who has inspired me greatly. Blackcurrant farmer Joe Hilditch has achieved so much in the world of food and farming. A woman in agriculture showing you can lead from the front, instigate change and say no to Deborah Meaden on Dragon's Den. Tune in as we talk about British cassis, business diversification and a few tasty recipes, including rhubarb gin. Welcome to the Countryside Kitchen Meats, a food and farming podcast. I'm Millie Fife, your host. I'm a mum of two, farmer's wife, food producer and passionate about flying the flag for British food and farming. Today we'll be chatting to Joe Hilditch, a fourth generation farmer from Herefordshire. Then I've got a few time-saving hacks when it comes to mealtime preparation and some recipes to share, meaning you can juggle family life with the children and cook a tasty, nutritious meal too. Okay, let's introduce you to my guest. Joe Hilditch is a fourth generation farmer managing the family farm in Herefordshire for the last 25 years. She supplies blackcurrants to Ribena, chickens to Avara in Hereford, cider apples to Heineken for Bournemouth cider and to Aspels, as well as a small arable farm which is farmed in conjunction with other local farms. Joe has developed a range of Victorian farm buildings into luxury holiday lets. She is committed to sustainability and biodiversity with a range of environmental schemes across the farm, as well as the solar energy production and large biomass heating projects. In addition, she uses some excess crop to develop her own brand of fruit liqueur. White Heron Drinks produces British cassis and British framboise, which by her own account is very tasty. I need to get some of that for sure and have a try. In fact, Joe appeared on Dragon's Den looking for investment in that brand. So I'm excited to find out how that came about and what the outcome was. Joe wears many hats, as you can tell by that introduction. So I'm so pleased to have her on the podcast today. Hello, Joe. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Hello, Millie. Thank you so much. So, I mean, how, how do you fit it all in um it's you are somebody that I admire um I know family life juggling children a business a farm is it's spinning the plates but you know I'm sort of looking up to you and your career path and, and aspire to achieve half, even half of what you've achieved so how do you do it um, well, I don't know. I think perhaps I spread myself a bit thin, but you know how it is. Ask a busy woman and we always find to do it. You know, there are two things, time and money. You never have quite enough of either of them. But <laughs> if you kind of, if you give as much as you can in time, then I think you get as much as you do out. Mm. So yeah, I'm not sure I do anything brilliantly, but certainly it's been an interesting career path and you're at the other end of it. Exactly, exactly. So I'm, you know, obviously my children are uh, three and five and farmer's wife. So now sort of really starting to fly in my own business, um, having put the foundations down. See, this podcast is just one of the areas where I'm able to be really creative and try and connect consumers with farmers and food producers and talk a little bit around cooking as well because that you know I think it's hugely important and something that I would like to do more of so um and coming from a PR and marketing background myself I totally understand where you're coming from Mm. and I think that's part of the reason why 
I got into, I diversified into all the businesses that I did because mm. I could see the opportunities of marketing to the consumer directly, mm. which as commodity producers, we don't often do, but mm. we are good communicators. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think as well, just the visual kind of um, element of marketing in food and farming businesses as well, uh, and just explaining the whole supply chain. I mean, a little while ago, I went to British Sugar and I had a look around the British Sugar factory and, and looking at how things go from being in the field to being on a supermarket shelf. I mean, it it's such a fascinating journey and something that is, is I think people really buy into. Yeah, and recognising that as a marketing tool is also brilliant. We've done some work, um, I chair the Black Current Foundation, and we've done lots of work with, and actually I'm doing it with Cassis as well, mm. is making people see that it's not just about the bottle or the Ribena, but it's the whole journey and that it mm. did start on a bush and there are seasons that go around that bush and that it does take three years to grow uh, the first viable crop and it takes 10 years to get any payback. And it's a long-term process that all the consumer sees is this little bottle. And connecting those two things, as you say, I think it's so important. Mm. Mm. And also, I mean, there's an ele- there is a huge element of risk as well, you know, within it. We're, there's so many different elements that, get thrown at us not only on a daily basis but you know when you're producing food you've got the commodity price of the inputs you've got the weather you've got you know political issues there's all sorts of things as well and I think it's it's all very well saying oh I'll, I'll, I'm just going to establish a crop of black currants <laughs> like you say if it's a 10-year investment before you get any return you know are you bonkers <laughs> and you didn't mention we've just planted a vineyard as well so that you know that's another whole um Another whole scheme. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Oh, wow! Oh, I'm. I it. I've been meaning to try and organise to come and see you, Joe, because of you know just sort of exploring all the different elements of your business and what you do and what you're about. I mean, uh, normally, uh, sort of, I suppose with this podcast, I'd probably put the cart before the horse, but um, I really would like to come and have a look round because uh, just just to see for myself, um, because every time. I, I explore that journey and and understand exactly how you've established a crop and how you market it and and what the price point is and it, it's just it just fascinates me it's it's truly inspiring so um, I look forward to that. Well, I mean, I think the the times that we're coming into right now, and I hope it won't be long term or even medium term, but the challenges, as you've mentioned, around the costs, the inputs, and the relatively low rate of return. Mm. Um, I think that's always a challenge for farmers and it's going to be more of a challenge now because even with the products that you're managing to get in front of the consumer, you know, there's such a lot of clamouring for space and, uh, and you know, you need to charge a bit more. Mm, mm, absolutely. You, know, you only have to walk, walk down sort of supermarket aisle and look at certain shelves and you can see how busy it is and you know, what's your unique selling point, what makes you stand out. But equally, um, I know from, from a retailer's point of view, it's kind of price point, isn't it? And uh, and how much someone is able to afford to pay for that. And uh, uh, I had a guest on my podcast uh, not long ago and he was saying that one of the trends in 2023 is going to be low energy cooking um because yeah, everyone is mm, exactly yeah. using a microwave or you know uh yeah i mean i mean for me i'm i'm all about scratch cooking and batch cooking because that makes complete sense um but then again that's not accessible to some other people so it's 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 finding a way isn't it um yeah, definitely. what so tell me joe what is your backstory how did you forge your career in food and farming 
Um, well, I never expected to come back to the farm. And I, as I said to you before, I was mm. working in PR and marketing. And then I got married and I was working in AstraZeneca in Cheshire because my husband had a business up there. And then I had a real tragedy in the family and that my brother was killed in a car accident. Mm. And there were three of, three others of us, but none of the others were able to come back. And I was in a position where I could, but um, I didn't really mm. have any idea about farming. But I think sometimes when you you can see the wood for the tree from the trees mm. come into something that you didn't really know about before i mean of course i'd picked black currants when i was young and strawberries and looked after the lambs when i was very little but i didn't really know anything about it but you can bring your business expertise to anything you can bring your marketing background to anything and if you've got half a brain in your head then there's no reason why you can't do all of it. I mean, there are some things that I can't do and won't get asked to do again, like driving a tractor. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I can't, I have no idea about engines. Mm. Uh, so, but that's fine. I'm no good in the workshop or on the tractor, but you know, I have a brain that can see strategy and think how I can put things together. And I'm an entrepreneur and my dad was an entrepreneur. So I guess when I came back, he encouraged me with my entrepreneurial spirit. I made mm. a couple of mistakes, but in general, I just kind of pushed forward with all the exciting things I could see that I could do. Mm. And I think, um, you know, we're very lucky in farming. We do have a good asset. So I would do good risk analysis and I would do good business modeling on anything that I developed. But mm. of course, sometimes you are taking a bit of a risk, but you mm. always, you've got the collateral in the background whereby you can do more perhaps than other people might be able to do fresh in business. Mm, mm, absolutely. And it sounds like your, your your father was a very much a role model um, in establishing that uh, or that direction, but you were thrown in, thrown in the deep end, but with very much a business head on you. Um, and I, I see a lot of that myself in, in our business on, on, on the farm as well. I've sort of gone away and, um, work for various businesses and organizations and and now I can see what potential there is at home for development um we just have yeah. an element of succession planning issues and one thing or another so I concentrate a lot of my time on my marketing business but equally I want to be more getting my hands dirty you know yeah um, yeah so so how 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 did you get into into black currants is is that is Herefordshire a good growing county for black currants or did you see an opportunity no no it, it definitely is a good place for growing black currants we've got very good soil we've got good slopes so you don't get frost pockets um and also my family had been so of all the generations i look back at old publicity material that they had and they used to take product produce to market in birmingham and london and it always included black currants so there must be a long history of it on the farm mm. but in the early 60s kind of post post war when um they were looking to uh, use black currants as a vitamin c supplement and ribena started my dad was one of the the very early um, proponents of of the black currant crop for Ribena. So I guess um, I've just developed that over the years. So I think when when he died, or, or back in the day, actually, he did have quite a big acreage, but it had gone down and down. And then I regenerated that. And we're now at about 150 acres. We do about 400 tonnes a year. 
Mm. Um, and, and we're good at it. You know, I've got excellent farm manager and people who work on the fruit and we really understand it. We've been doing it for a long time now. Mm. We know how to get the best out of it. And, um, you know, similarly, Ribena are actually a very good customer. Yeah, um, They look after us. They understand the cost of production. And we have sensible conversations every year about what it does cost and what the market is, where the market is at. Mm. Um, so they buy 100% of their black currants in the UK, which is which is really good. Fantastic. Do they market the fact that they buy it all in this country then? Not enough. And Ravina, no. if you're listening, not enough. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, I wouldn't I would and that's just for Ribena, or is that into own label black currant? No, that's no, just for, for Ribena. Yeah, just for Ribena. Mm. I mean, I do a bit of IQF individually, quick frozen, and then obviously mm. my cassis, but Ribena is my is my main customer. Yeah. They do go through phases. I mean, their marketing team seems to change all the time. Mm. Um, and every marketing team that comes in, as as you will understand, mm. you have a different great idea. Mm. Um, and they did they did use the um very much as a USP, the fact that they were growing all British fruit, but it's slightly taken a bit of a backseat at the moment. But we do work with them as the Black Current Foundation. We do a lot of work alongside their social media people so that we can reflect each other's stories. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I'm going to have to find them on on um, social media and follow them because, uh, again, I can share some of the content, can't I, and direct people. I'll put it. I'll also put information on the show notes um, to everyone listening, so that if you want to find out more information, um, there'll be lots of different bits that you can refer back to. Um, but I mean, you obviously um, refer to Ribena as somebody you supply, but all the other um, products that you supply as well. And to, let, let's talk about the cassis. Uh, diversification because um and also your appearance on dragon's den because uh that's uh, you know just tell me how did that all come about um well cassis first of all came about in that one year we had about 110 100 tons surplus fruit so in my naivety i thought oh, we can do something with that and of course the first year we used about half a ton for our own product we use about 10 tons a year now Mm. Um, which just puts the scale. I'm a I'm a about a three percent producer for Ribena, mm. and I produce four hundred tons, and my little product uses about ten tons. So mm. it puts it all into perspective, really. Mm. But yeah, anyway. So I've been doing it for about uh, ten years, I suppose, and I just I wanted to do something that would really get me straight in front of the consumer. So it wasn't mm. going through any other ch- channel. Um, and this was something that I could do. So I started by just going to local food markets and the Good Food Show and so on. And then uh, I had a rebrand about four years ago, which was the point at which I went on Dragon's Den. And we'd been at one that said, um, I can't remember which one it was. I think it was the Good Food Show. And we could see that the BBC were around and you never know what they're doing. You know, Their, their labels flick around. Mm. And uh, this girl came up and gave gave somebody on my stand a card. And then about a week later, they rang the office and said, you know, do you want a bit of opportunity and promotion? And I said, put the phone down to my secretary, answered the phone, we're not interested mm-hmm. in advertising. They said, no, we're Dragon's Den. And then you start feeling a little bit, oh, like, oh, <laughs> you want me. So yeah, actually, within 10 days, I had met the producers, done a presentation, written a business plan, and was on Dragon's Den. So mm-hmm. it was a bit of a roller coaster. And it wasn't me saying I want to be on it. It was them saying, will you come and be on it? Oh, fantastic. Um, but it was really, I think I only did it because I wanted the publicity, not for yeah. me, but for, to sell the product. And mm-hmm. indeed, when it went out, I suppose I must have sold about £40,000 worth of product in the week. 
Um, but it was quite it was quite a thing. You know, I did turn them all down. Uh, mm. They all wanted too much of the business, and I didn't really want to give it any of it away. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a, it was a very interesting process. It was it was good fun. Oh, absolutely! It sounds absolutely fascinating, and I, I could, I mean, watching Dragons Den again, they, they, they always, they want to buy into something, but they always want a bigger bite of the cherry, right. don't they? <laughs> and also, they really want you to look like an idiot. Mm. And there were three others who were on the same one as I was, and two of them really did look like idiots. You know, they didn't understand what margin was, turnover was, what their cost of goods was, mm. and I know everything down to a T. I mean, there's no way you wouldn't if you're running a business. Yeah, like exactly, exactly. Um, no, but good, good for you as well to turn it down. But like, you know, the return that you got from doing that, and uh, that, that's something that I'm sort of in my influencer type marketing. Um, I'm looking to um, for more sort of TV opportunities. I've done. I was on BBC Bargain Hunt, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> you, were, you were on Salvage Hunters. <laughs> were you? <I> want to... <laughs> so uh, we won big on we won big on uh, Bargain Hunt, my friend and I, um, and we got the gold, golden gavel. So we won two hundred and ninety pounds. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we've been repeated quite a few times because I think we were actually one that was quite interesting to watch um and then uh, a few years ago i did um a program called uh love no it was called food glorious food and it was um like a cookery program where you had to like prepare a dish and then present it to some judges and uh, it only only made one series so um they obviously didn't get very good viewing figures but they well, produced- have to go on to bake off or master chef oh, yeah I, I, I know yeah but it's just, I sort of find that when my sort of style of cooking is very much throw it all together. If you've got good ingredients, uh, they will sing. Um, but my presentation probably isn't Master Chef kind of real. You know, it's all. Yeah, I, it, I'd like to do something like that, but yeah, if I could find something that was a bit more down to earth, um, maybe I'd throw my hat in the ring. But who knows? That's why that that food, glorious food, was quite. It was presented by Carol Vorderman actually, and Tom Parker Bowles was my judge. So I had to present. Um, I did cheesy meatball pasta, and uh, that was quite a uh, a popular dish. Um, and I got a rosette. I got a rosette, but and went through to the next round. But I found that out that then all the people that had had the film crews round to their house prior to the production were already going through. So it just felt a little bit fault, so, like it was already preempted. So the fact that I, I had, it had yeah. another time, I'm sure it is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I've been on quite a few with Michael Seuss. I've been on quite a few different programs. Mm. Actually, the the one I liked the most was the Harry Bikers. Oh, they're brilliant. They voted me as one of their food heroes and they came and spent a day on the farm and they were just brilliant. Mm. Really, They were absolutely real. Mm. And mm. some of the others that I've met, and I better not mention who they were online, I haven't liked quite so much. Mm. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it, how TV persona and then in re- reality, you know, it is that kind of, yeah, what's on screen and then, yeah, in real life. Yeah, I've, I've heard no, the no, same. The one I really want is Stanley Tucci. So Stanley Tucci, if you're listening, please come. <laughs> Fantastic. I hope he is. <laughs> come to you and then to me. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so what has been your biggest challenge to date then, Joe? I mean, I think that I think there are lots of challenges. I I, I think uh, well, driving a tractor was obviously one mm. of the challenges. 
I think the challenge right now is making a profit. I think that's incredibly challenging. Mm. Um, I think planning for the generation, the next generation, as you've alluded to already, in a, in a very changing environment of what the young want to do. Mine are a bit older than you. They're in their 20s. And, you know, it's everybody is forging their own path. They don't live at home. They haven't particularly had any, um, well, they've done the odd blackcurrant harvest. But for me now, at, at my ripe old age, which is not too old, but it's, you know, getting on a bit, um, I want to know what's going to happen next. And I think that is challenging. I really do think that's challenging. And, I, you know, what, and of course, I'm not going to mind if, it, if it's a girl or a boy. It, just, it would be nice to think that it would be taken over. Mm. But I think, you know, the biggest challenge of all for, for you and me is, is, or has been definitely for me, probably less for you, is being a woman in a very male-orientated environment. Mm. When I first got involved, I think it was probably about 5% of um, of anybody in farming was female. I think mm. it's more like 23 or 25% now. Mm. Nonetheless, I don't think it's particularly females in, in you know, the, the kind of role that I'm in, which is the, the managing director, effectively. Mm. I think women um, in farming are still much more stereotyped as being the farmer's wife in the background and albeit that they give so much to the farm and they probably do as much as or maybe more than sometimes mm. than the husband on the farm and I and I that is a challenge and I think it has been the biggest challenge through throughout my whole career in farming. Mm-hmm. Now I completely concur with you Joe because I mean I've I've had various roles within the industry and uh, I feel like I, I've proved myself if you know what I mean but I I'm I I now feel accepted if you know what I mean but because I've done x y and z so I've earned my place whereas I don't know whether or not um if you know if I was born into farming as well because I'm not from a farming background so but actually I think that that for me is an advantage especially from a marketing perspective yeah. because I ask the questions yeah. that that perhaps you know yeah exactly um so it's um it is fascinating i think it is it's getting better i think the sort of diversity within agriculture is is getting a lot better and a lot more inclusive but i think it's still a lot of work listening to some of the young around herefordshire i i think there definitely are more females who come to the forefront but it's more likely to be in your kind of role you know more in a kind of marketing role Mm. Um, and the boys are still the ones who are expected to be the ones who take over the farm and to be the son and heir, probably. Mm, mm. I think that perception is changing. And I think women are much more, ed- well, we're all educated more as feminists, which mm. is a, it's a really good thing. I mean, when I first got involved, it absolutely would be, you know, I'd be at a farming conference and people would look over my shoulder and say, where's your husband? Or say, <laughs> how many children do you have? Because that was the only conversation that they could have with a woman. Mm. You know, they wouldn't dream of talking about yields and inputs and returns and crop protection, which I probably know more about than they do. Mm. Um, but I think now, certainly, I, w- I wouldn't have that around here. Um, mm. And, you know, people know me and, and woe betide them if they have <laughs> I've heard so many local negotiating groups um, on behalf of growers and black currants and so on. First lady member of the Herefordshire Club and the first chairman and so on. So I think in Herefordshire, I have finally found my place. Um, But you still, I still go to a new environment and I still might have people say, Where's your husband? Which Mm. is weird. 
Mm, mm, no, I, no, I, no, I totally get that. Um, I went, I went to an event not long ago, and that's you know, they're sort of all thinking, "Oh, did you come on your own?" Yes. Brave of you. Yes, my husband's actually at home putting the children to bed, so I can come out for the evening, you know, and do and use my brain. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it is funny. It is funny, but it, you know, I'm I'm pleased with the way things are going, and I think this leadership course um that i'm taking so much from um is really helping to obviously showcase what can be done or you know bring people along with me if you know what i mean so that you know i suppose it's not everyone's you know bringing people out of their comfort zone and not conforming to the norm is i suppose what i'm getting at is my life motto is dare to be different and i've always lived by that and that will be that sort of part of my north star really is something that i'll always I, I don't do things normally. <laughs> I don't want That's to say so funny, but I think I told you before that dare to be different is one of my hashtags on my white hair and drinks. Oh yeah. So I did. get it. I yeah. really get it. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh no, that's fantastic. Well, um let's um talk about cooking and feeding the family then, Joe. Um is do you enjoy cooking? Have you got any go to recipes or anything yeah, that you you've been um We've been talking gender stereotyping, so I'm not sure you should really be asking this question. <laughs> but I'll take it in the spirit that it was intended. Yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah, no, I love cooking. Um, mm. And actually, my husband is honestly the most useless cook ever. So if he had been um, feeding the family, then we'd have been starving. <laughs> um, clearly, I like cooking anything with cassis in it. So yeah. I think actually there are some great recipes that I do. One is duck with duck with ginger and cassis, which is really delicious, and blackcurrants, um, or a trifle um, with using cassis rather than sherry. But I'm um, I never have time to go shopping. Really, you know, I just mm. go to the shops and grab a few things, and then maybe I'll go on Saturday morning and fill up a trolley, and then I'll just have a load of stuff in the fridge, which by Thursday evening has all disappeared. So. I think my best skill is just opening the fridge and making something delicious out of what's ever in there, whatever's mm. in there. Because as you were talking earlier, it's about how you put foods together. Mm. And a lot, I mean, I love Ottolenghi. So I've got all those spices in the cupboard. So mm. I just pull out what, whatever's in the fridge and I will turn it into something, which I think is really delicious. But, you know, I love the creativity of cooking. I'm not a baker, mm. but I just let, love making really good savory dishes. Mm, um, mm. I, I mean, I can get home at about you know six o'clock in the evening and throw a dinner party for eight quite easily mm. and not worry about it. My mother is absolutely appalled. You know, she'll ask me three days before, say, "What are you going to give them for dinner?" <laughs> I'm like, "God, I don't know." I went until half an hour before because yeah. really, I think you know, for me, food is about sitting around a table and okay, you've got something delicious on the table, and hopefully, everyone enjoys it. But mm. it's about good company and conversation and the bringing of people together over food, I think. Yeah, and a nice tipple as well. <laughs> yeah, and a nice tipple. <laughs> and, I, and I, you know, I definitely, I would buy fresh local produce if I could. Mm. I would definitely buy British if I could. So mm. in the supermarkets, it drives me mad that you just can't find the area, which is all the British stuff. So I mm. won't buy beans from Kenya. Mm. I'll buy the cauliflower from Lincolnshire or whatever. Mm. Uh, and and having um, you know, that kind of some kind of provenance and sustainability about the food that I eat is really important. Yeah. Yeah. But, that... I, am, but I am a supermarket shopper because I just don't have time to go down the high street every week. 
yeah i'm 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 exactly the same i do i have my shopping delivered every week um all my staple ingredients but then because we sell um our beef and lamb to our local butcher who's got three shops i'll then go and um well we've got pigs on our freezer anyway but then i'll you know stock up on some decent meat as well so so um or if i'm out and about you know i will bob into somewhere but i i literally it's almost like a treat when i actually go into a physical shop because i just don't have the time um but uh, yeah yeah it's um it it, and i think i enjoy going to like the butchers and looking at the counter and things like that but but the weekend i can do that mm, yeah mm, and does your husband does your husband ever do any cooking no 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 not at all is that a male stereotype thing do you think um it's because he's never had to um i think he's been brought yeah he's been brought up very much mothered and (laughs) and uh uh, and now because i enjoy it i mean you know he can just about you know he'll do cheese on toast or um he'll boil up a bit of pasta or what have you he can do the basics but actually it's it's painful watching him um and i just just quickly knock something to you know the kids are absolutely beside themselves they need feeding i can't wait half an hour for him to peel a few spuds when i just sort of chop them up sling them in i don't you know i'm not really worried about all that yeah exactly so uh yeah so i don't i don't mind it but every now and again it would be nice um to have someone cook for me and so when we do go out and have a meal we often go to places where there is good food provenance because if you pay for someone else to cook you a nice meal, you want to be able to enjoy it and think, oh, I didn't mind paying X amount because it was good um, and so I didn't have to cook it. Whereas I know I've got a lot of friends that just go out because they can't be bothered and then they'll pay whatever and it's just a kind of a means to an end. So I quite I quite like, you know, finding a really good traditional pub and having, yeah, traditional food, which is which is tasty and we know where the meats come from or or at least where you know there's been a bit bit more uh effort do you uh, get to... your kids cooking as well mm. so the the sort of premise of this podcast and before that the food blog was it was founded during the pandemic and uh i grow a lot of vegetables in the garden um obviously we we produce a lot of the meat from from the farm so they, I've got them involved with the growing in the garden, planting seeds, and they know everything. You know, they know that carrots come out of the ground, and we have to wash them under the garden oh, tap, and they, you know, and all of that. Um, and then I've now got them like little sets of knives that uh, that they can use, um, so they enjoy the chopping. Trouble is, my two are quite a close age, and they're quite competitive, being boys. Um, so it's actually more enjoyable when I've just got one of them that I can focus on. Whereas if I'm getting both of them to do it, although I can have two bowls or two chopping boards there's an element of competition um so <laughs> so it can be a little bit of a challenge let's say um but uh anyway <laughs> it, is, yeah. it is nice to get them involved with cooking um and and then they're now starting to sort of develop be a little bit more adventurous in their tastes and what they enjoy although the youngest could just eat a bottle of mayonnaise a week at the moment it's absolutely disgusting <laughs> it's just, it's, oh it's horrible but anyway but um um, how how can people find more out about you, Joe, and your business? Um, about my business, uh, we've got a website for the farm, which is wittenfarms.co.uk. Mm. Uh, about the holiday lets, it's whiteheronproperties.com. And about the cassis, um, and to buy cassis, it's whiteherondrinks.co.uk. 
Brilliant. And in terms of the cassis, can people, is that available online to buy um, or do you in you, do you do stock any any shops and things as well? Uh, yeah, no, it's available to buy online, but um, you can get down to Waitrose, um, selected Waitrose. I think we're in about three quarters of the Waitroses. Mm-hmm. Um, Fortnum and Mason with their own brand. And then we're all over the place in independent delis. And mm. we're also available in kind of some uh, cocktail uh, bars and so on. You nice. Right. Ah, and and you're on social media as well, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. At, at White Heron Drinks. And your per your personal, I think it's your Instagram account. You've got a very snazzy picture of you on an airplane because right. in, in in International Women's Day last year, yeah. uh, you did something yeah. rather mad. Yeah, totally mad. <laughs> I absolutely hate heights. I'm terrified. Um, and I was high sheriff last year of Herefordshire and I just decided that I would do something that was really mad and was really going to challenge me and I wasn't really going to be happy about doing. Um, and it was International Women's Day and I thought it was a great one to do the crossed arms on top of the plane, break the bias. And I did I did it. I did it. Amazing. Um, it was pretty scary. But yeah, um, yeah no, that's that's all <laughs> that's all on my Joe Hilditch um it's on my joe hilditch instagram that one you can watch it oh my word and did you do that to raise money for charity or was that as well as Um, obviously challenging yourself no i raised i think i raised nearly 40 grand for local charities that i'd got involved with during uh, my year as high sheriff fantastic all herefordshire charities yeah so i was really pleased to be able to give that away oh my word that's absolutely fantastic thank you for sharing that that's amazing I, i i did a skydive um in wellies about oh god that was about 15 years ago now um so that was my that was when I was first uh involved with RABI the farming charity and um yeah I jumped out of a plane for well, wellie well, week I, well I was going to decide I was deciding between a free fall and a, a wing walk and I just thought maybe the wing walk would likely more photogenic because you mm. could, <laughs> you could get it up online and people would actually be able to see it whereas a free fall you can't really see it can you it's no no i think you can now pay for the man or uh the man that you're strapped to to have a head cam or or you have a body cam or what have you but it is yeah you know it's not until the parachute comes up and you're just lolloping about it's um yeah. <laughs> no. I, anyway, oh. I, did, I think i preferred wing walking to doing a free fall probably yeah absolutely. i'm gonna go and do it again with another chap who did it in aid of the, one of the charities i'm a trustee of and we've decided we're going to do it in tandem and we're going to do loop the loop oh my bonkers <laughs> <laughs> money then. yeah absolutely oh well you'll have to let me know when you're going to do that and i'll share it and make sure that people know about it sounds amazing wow okay here are some time-saving hacks for you to try at home Since finding out about my gluten intolerance, it has reintroduced me into preparing a few cupboard staples from scratch. I often have to be in the mood for doing this or schedule some time in, but it does save time in the long run. Uh, Shop-bought gluten-free pastry is like cardboard. Although I've been a fan of shop-bought pastry, uh, the ready roll varieties, um, for a long time. There's no shame in buying a roll of puff or short crust and often I'll knock out some jam tarts or a homemade pizza using them for the kids. So now making pastry from scratch has become more of a staple in my house as you can freeze it and use it when you need it. 
and if you do have a gluten intolerance or any other um, food related intolerances or it is a minefield but actually by just investing a little bit of time into these sorts of things in the long run it i guess it is it is a time saving hack for me so my recipe for gluten free rough puff pastry is as follows 295 grams of gluten free plain flour 1 teaspoon of xanthan gum 1 egg white 225 grams of salted butter got to be salted butter tastes amazing 130 milliliters of ice cold water now, you place the flour, xanthan gum, and salt into a bowl and mix. Chop up the cold salted butter into one centimeter chunks and place in the flour mixture. Break down the butter into the flour mixture, but avoid the temptation to rub the mixture into breadcrumb like state. Basically, smush the butter around with the flour. Mix the egg whites and ice cold water together. Add a third of the mixture and slowly bring the contents together. As the mixture combines, start to add a little liquid at a time until the mixture forms a stolite ball. It shouldn't be too sticky. And then place the flour, the pastry onto a flour board and roll until it is one centimetre thick. Fold the pastry like it's an envelope back on itself and form a rectangle block. Now wrap in cling film and place in the fridge for about 15 minutes. Then after that time, bring the pastry out of the fridge and roll out until the pastry is one centimetre thick. Fold back on itself like an envelope again and form another rectangle. And repeat this step two or three times because it really does help them to strengthen the pastry because you haven't got the gluten inside the pastry. Freeze it until you knead it and then defrost. Using the real butter rather than margarine or any false salt, especially the salted variety, makes it super tasty and worth the effort, believe me. Um, and I recently did a cookery competition where I made my gluten-free pastry into sausage rolls. And I was the only one that bothered to make my pastry and everyone was absolutely raving. <laughs> In season right now, let's talk about rhubarb. I've been successfully growing rhubarb from seed in um, my garden the last couple of years and started to build up my rhubarb repertoire. I've got a nice recipe for rhubarb chutney on my food blog page and I want to talk to you about rhubarb gin. It's so simple to make. I'm sure Jo's probably nodding her head here because she's probably dabbled in uh, making her own spirits as well. Um, so chop um, rhubarb stalks into three centimetre pieces. You'll need around three or four decent stalks, 500 grams of caster sugar, one litre bottle of cheap gin, nothing fancy as you'll be changing the flavour. Um, so I use Audi's own brand. Um, other brands are available, I should say, but it is it's cheap and easy. And as you're going to be changing the um the flavor it doesn't really matter uh, mix the sugar and rhubarb together and leave overnight in a sealed jar to allow the sugar to draw out of the juice the next day add the gin and seal in an airtight vessel shake daily to ensure the sugar dissolves after four weeks your rhubarb gin should be ready strain through a muslin cloth and enjoy your drink with some tonic water i think at the end of the day when i put the kids to bed that's exactly my go-to drink <laughs> how does that sound joe have you ever tried growing rhubarb it sounds really delicious, and I've never tried a rhubarb gin. So, um, yeah, I look forward to tasting that. You have to yeah. bring some over when you come. I will. I will. Absolutely. I've done last year. I did raspberry gin. That was pretty easy um, because it's so juicy. So, rhubarb's a bit more of a challenge, but I'm 
uh, yeah, I'm just building up my repertoire at the moment um, with various <laughs> various recipes, and that is uh, a favourite, I'm sure. So, um, thank you for coming on today, Joe. It's been wonderful chatting to you. No problem, and good luck to you with your career in front of you. Oh, thank you very much. And that's all we've got time for today. Um, don't forget to tune into the next episode of the Countryside Kitchen Meets on the first of each month. You can subscribe on all major podcast streaming platforms and get in touch. Would you like to be on a future episode? Want to chat to me about what you do and share some recipes too? Drop me a line at hello at millie5.com. And you can also follow my food blog, No Fuss Meals for Busy Parents, on Facebook, Instagram, and at www.nofussmealsforbusyparents.com. So top tips, time-saving hacks, and recipe ideas. Thank you so much, Jo. Um, I'm very much enjoyed listening to your journey um all the different areas in which your business has developed and also your year as high sheriff as well it's just absolutely fascinating and i appreciate your support and guidance and i know that i'm going to really enjoy coming to see you soon see you soon then all right take care see you next time bye